okay, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, you guys, we just uh. recorded almost an entire episode, <laughs> and then we realized that it, the computer was only picking up my mic. Yeah. So I was just Betsy was full force, full volume. I was just a little, a little bird chirping in the background, making no no noise, no sense at all. Yeah, so, I mean, you could hear her, but she sounded like she was five miles away. Yeah. It was. Uh, so, so we're trying this again. <laughs> Welcome back to Don't Fuck With Ghosts, the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your Blost sisters. I am Greer. I am Betsy. And thank you for joining us on our sixth episode. Six and a half, because we already almost recorded the whole thing. I mean, maybe this is a blessing in disguise because our first recording uh, during one of my, I like my little speaking portions, I literally like blanked and was like, I don't know what to say now and took up like three minutes. It's just like, like, I don't know. So maybe this is what you guys need. And maybe this is what we need. Probably we need more than anything. Oh. oh gosh <laughs> at least we blocked off this entire day to record <laughs> because we're actually recording two episodes today now three <laughs> yeah. yeah so um betsy's going on a fun trip in about a week and so we wanted to avoid what happened when i went on vacation which was like a three-week hiatus so we're doing a shorter episode this morning. Well, I guess it's almost the afternoon now. So a shorter episode before lunch. <laughs> then we're going to eat lunch and then record a, a more like full length, more in-depth episode after we're done. Yes. <sighs> and those episodes will release on our regular like every other week schedule. Yes. So, so this one that we're recording today will come out probably tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and then the second one we're recording will come out while I'm in Ireland. So yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll be on track while Betsy is abroad. Abroad. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But before we get into today's topic, I need to just set something straight. Now I'll be setting it straight again. <laughs> um, but basically, if you are listening to this podcast right now, then you probably also listen to a podcast called Two Girls, One Ghost because I recruited most of our listeners from their listeners. <laughs> so thank you for also enjoying paranormal and supernatural things just as much as we do. Um, so, but basically every other week, so every week they have an episode come out, but one week it's their like normal stories that they tell each other. And then every other week they have a Strictly Encounters episode where they read their listener stories that they send in. And a couple of their Encounters episodes ago, I listened to, and they had a story from somebody detailing their family's DNA scandal. Um, and where, like, whoever had sent in their DNA found out that they had another child somewhere, another long-lost relative of some sort. Um, and then they asked the girls who host it, Corinne and Sabrina, asked for more stories that detailed listeners' family scandals revolving around DNA testing. And I just so happened to have one to share. That's a good one. Uh, yes. So basically, this happened, I think, three years ago in, like, 2019. Um, my mom had me, my brothers, her, and my uncle, her brother, send in DNA to Ancestry.com. And um, basically, a few months after that, or maybe a few months to a year after that, um, my mom got a notification from Ancestry that she had a new, like, new relative match or something that where the the person was either a niece, cousin, or aunt, or half sister. Because I guess all of those people share about the same amount of DNA with you mm-hmm. theoretically. Um, so my mom, I was over there for dinner when I my mom was like, um, "So Ancestry's telling me I have a sister." <laughs> Casual. I was like, what the hell? And then, but it was hard to like find any further evidence of this. Um, and we couldn't really reach this person because she was well into her 70s or 80s, probably 80s, closer to. Um, so we kind of just gave up on that and moved on with our lives. But like a f- literally, literally a few days later, another woman reached out to me, to my Ancestry.com account, claiming to be my mom's sister. Oh my gosh. And I was like, well, do you know this woman that... She had previously previously been matched to, and she's like, "Oh yeah, she's my aunt." So, all related. But anyway, <laughs> this um, after some back and forth and like connecting her with my mom, we realized that my grandma had had an affair, which we think was like a one night stand kind of situation with this woman's uh, father. 
um, and then ended up pregnant with my mom, but she was still with my grandpa. So she just kind of played along like it was my grandpa's kid. And then years later, I think my mom and this woman are about 10 years apart. This woman is 10 years younger than her. Years later, this, um, this man had had this woman with his then wife. Um, so they shared a dad basically is what it came down to. But in my story that I wrote to two girls, one ghost, I completely messed up the details. And I said that my grandma had an affair with this man years after my mom was born, which doesn't make any sense because the affair resulted in her becoming pregnant with my mom. So when the girls wrote me back that they were going to read my story on their podcast, they were like, we need some clarity because these timelines, we don't understand. How did she keep (laughs) an entire pregnancy hidden from my grandpa, yada, yada. And I was like, oh God. And I wrote them back and I was like, look, I messed up one of the details. Like this woman is actually younger than my mom. She's a half sister. They're not fully like full sisters. Um, She was pregnant with my mom years before this guy had had this, this girl with his then wife, yada, yada. So I basically cleared it up, but clearly I'm still trying to keep all the facts straight. It's a very confusing family affair. Let's just say, but if, if you do listen to them, you should check it out because my story will be read and now you will have had the story set straight and you will know the actual happenings of what occurred. Um, but yeah, that was really cool to to get to hear from them yeah that is awesome you're famous um maybe one day did you plug i did i was like you guys inspired me (laughs) to start my own paranormal podcast at dfwg (laughs) podcast so hopefully they'll they'll read that bit perfect oh i bet they will and hopefully they'll look it up and be like what's dfwg (laughs) what does that have to do with ghosts ghosts um but yeah so that that is i wanted to clear that up because you know i didn't want to have false stories about my family out there, you know. <laughs> well, what is this platform for if not to clear your own name? <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Okay, so but what we're going to talk about today is the one thing that we always tell you to stay away from. And if you've been looking at our Insta stories, you will know. Ouija boards. Woo! For the second time. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so I'm going to talk about like the history of the Ouija board, how it got so prominent in our society and then Greer's going to get into more about how it's played a role in film and media in general and then we're going to um deep dive into some of your guys's stories that you sent us yeah thank you for answering our poll on instagram you guys sent some really crazy shit so we're excited to share it with our wider audience Yes, thank you so much for all of your participation. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have more polls in the in the future. Oh yeah. Um, okay, so let's just let's get into this. <laughs> um, so the main source that I used uh, in my research for the history of the Ouija board um, was an article called "The Strange and Mysterious History of the Ouija Board," published in Smithsonian Magazine on October twenty seventh, twenty thirteen, and it was written by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. So the Ouija board was first advertised in February of 1891. Um, there was an article that that was talking about it called the Ouija called Ouija the Wonderful Talking Board. It answers questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy. Promised quote never failing amusement and reaction for all the classes. A link between the known and unknown, the material and immaterial. It was marketed as both a mystical oracle and as family entertainment fun with an element of otherworldly excitement. And it was declared interesting and mysterious and was testified as, as proven at patent office before it was allowed. And the patent office is basically a government body that vets your product. If you were to apply for a patent and it was priced at a dollar 50 cents, which we tried to figure out how much that would be in today's money. But we don't really have a good idea. Yeah, we didn't come to a conclusion. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I'm going to say 50 bucks. Sure, that sounds right. Maybe I'll Google it while you're talking. Okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll circle back to we'll it. <laughs> okay. So for those who are listening that aren't familiar with a Ouija board and, and what it consists of, it is a flat board with letters of the alphabet arrayed in two semicircles. 
the numbers zero through nine listed below the letters, the words yes and no in the upper corners, and the word goodbye at the bottom. And it comes with a planchette, which is a teardrop-shaped device, usually with a small window in the body used to maneuver about the board. And I said last time, because Greer asked why it was a teardrop-shaped, and I came up with my theory that because, you know, tears come from your eyes and the eyes are the windows to the soul, that it's like a way for the spirits you're communicating with to see into your soul. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. Also, you were just about right. A dollar fifty in that time was about would be about fifty six dollars today. Damn, damn, she's a I called it. Go on Jeopardy. That's insane. <laughs> it's insane. A dollar fifty is fifty six dollars now. Yeah. Inflation is crazy, man. It is. But anyway, the idea being that when you play the Ouija board, two or more people would sit around the board, place their fingertips on the planchette, ask a question, and watch as the planchette would move from letter to letter, spelling out the answers seemingly on its own. So how did this game come to be? Well, historian Robert Murch had been researching the story of the board since 1992 and noted that he found it strange that nobody seemed to know its origins, even though it had been such an iconic game for about 100 years at this point. So in his research, he found that spiritualism had hit America hard in 1848 with the sudden prominence of the Fox sisters in upstate New York, and the Foxes claimed to receive messages from spirits who would answer their questions by tapping on the walls, which to me sounds like Morse code. But wasn't Morse code like big in World War One too? I think so. Maybe they were doing like yes, no. So mm, like yeah, one that's for true. Yes, one knock for no. Yeah, or maybe I'm completely wrong. Anyway, <laughs> they would recreate this phenomenon in other people's parlors across the state. So it sounds basically like the Ouija board kind of replaced them. Yeah. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> um, but spiritualism was also amplified by the new national press in the second half of the 19th century. So word was getting around. Um, and this also worked for dominantly Christian society. And it was socially acceptable at the time to have a seance on a Saturday and then go to church the following morning. That shit is crazy. <laughs> I know. Um, but it offered solace in an era where 50 was the average life expectancy due to a lot of more things killing you back then, such as childbirth, disease, and war. And First Lady Mary Todd Lincoln actually conducted seances in the White House after their 11-year-old son died of a fever in 1862. The White House is definitely extremely haunted. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then the Civil War fostered, fostered a huge trove of spiritualism as people were desperate to connect with the loved ones who'd gone to war and never come home. Because, you know, it was probably faster to talk with their potentially dead spirit than it was to send them a letter that might never reach them. Yeah. Sad, but, it's very you know. Sad. <laughs> um, so at this point, communicating with the dead was common, and it wasn't seen as bizarre or weird. And Robert Murch notes that it's hard to imagine now that we look at someone using a Ouija board or conducting a seance and think, why are you opening the gates of hell when it was so starkly contrasted to the view of it back then? Mm -hmm. um, but in 1886, the Associated Press reported on a new phenomenon they referred to as the talking board. And it was kind of unclear how this talking board came to be in the first place, because this article is what made it so that these investors that I'm about to talk about like jumped on this opportunity mm -hmm. but like in the article it was they didn't really discuss like okay well who made this talking board you like know? the design of it yeah or like this article like who came up with the idea of using like a medium basically that's not a person but like an actual board to communicate with you know what wouldn't surprise me is if something similar to the design of a Ouija board had been used in like ancient culture. Yeah, and that's true. Somebody saw the idea and was like, "Like, I'm gonna market off Bam, that. Bam, yep. I can make some money off that." Yeah. So after this article came out, um, it went viral for the 1800s, but it was Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, who decided to invest. So our own neighbor did this to us. Wow. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck Maryland. Uh, I mean, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. We love Maryland. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he got four other people to invest with him, including Elijah Bond, who was a local attorney, and Colonel Washington Bowie, who was a surveyor. Um, and together they formed the Kennard Novelty Company to exclusively make and market these new talking boards. None of them were spiritualists, um, but they simply saw an opportunity to exploit a niche market. And like... I'm trying to open the wallets of Americans 
and they succeeded. <laughs> so how did this board get its name? Well, Murch said that based on his research, it was Elijah Bond's sister-in-law, who also happened to be a strong medium, who supplied the iconic name. They asked the board what it would like to be called. It spelled out Ouija. And when asked what Ouija meant, the board replied, good luck. That's a warning if I've ever heard one. Yeah, that's my interpretation of it. <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely luck. a warning. Good, Good luck. luck. Good luck, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but we had talked about this earlier, how it was interesting that um, these like skeptics were bringing in a medium. Mm-hmm. And they. I think we, we concluded that even though they might not believe in like what she's doing, they figured that if this medium could vet this board, then they would have a better time at selling it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Better luck. That's selling it, if you will. <laughs> um, okay, so then after they named the board, they submitted an application to get it patented. Um, and Merch's interviews with the descendants of the Ouija founders, in addition to its original patent file, revealed that the board's patent request story was actually true. Um, the team realized, as we just discussed, that even though they themselves were non-believers, they couldn't market the board if they could not prove that it worked. Um, Bond brought his medium sister-in-law to the patent office in Washington to file the application where the chief patent officer asked for a demonstration saying that if the board could accurately spell out his name, which was unknown to Bond and his sister-in-law, then he'd allow the application to proceed. And whether it was mystical spirits or the fact that Bond, as a patent attorney, might have known the man's name, the board correctly spelled out the officer's name and Bond was awarded a patent for the game. So the fact that the patent officer left no explanation of how the game works, only that it does, contributed to the marketing effort. So <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, that it, it, it's so funny that these guys really didn't have to market much out of this thing. Yeah. They just like let mystery do it for them. It's genius. There's a quote from the article saying, the less the Kennard company said about how the board worked, the more mysterious it seemed and the more people wanted to buy it. And one year after ads went out for the talking board, the Kennard Novelty Company had gone from one factory in Baltimore to two in Baltimore, two in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. So it expanded fast. And by 1893, somehow Kennard and Bond were out. And now William Fold, who'd worked his way up from an employee and stockholder, now ran the company, which the article kind of chalked up to like corruption and money feuding. Um, and then in 1898, with the blessing from majority shareholder and only remaining original investor, Colonel Bowie, Fold licensed the executive rights to make the board. And what followed was a bunch of public squabbling over who actually invented the Ouija board and Fold taking over the monopoly of Ouija board sales as rival boards launched and failed. And then in 1919, Bowie sold the remaining business interest in Ouija to Fold for $1 which we had discussed was interesting because seeing as all of the original investors were gone and like had no involvement in the Ouija board anymore. And like the last one standing basically was willing to sell the rest of the business for $1 mm-hmm. says a lot. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, Taylor Swift had a lawsuit and I think she was suing, um, a guy who like, I think sexually assaulted her for $1 and it was never about the money. It was, it was about just about the point mm, and yeah. getting, you know, out that, 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 that reminds me of. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Oh God. I'm burping. Ooh, I'm burping. The demon. The demon's back. Okay. <laughs> um, but notably Fold died in 1927 after a freak fall from the roof of his new factory, a factory. He said the Ouija board told him to build. So this new guy was, he did use the Ouija board. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he did. Oh, interesting. He did. So I guess, yeah, this new, this, maybe that, that aided them though, because if they were non-believers, they wouldn't use it because they just, yeah, they weren't connected to it like that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Gosh. Um, but since its inception and over the following 120 years, the Ouija board appealed to a wide array of individuals, mostly merch claims because quote, people want to believe the need to believe that something else is out there is powerful end quote. Um, the board finds its great greatest popularity in uncertain times, as I discussed earlier with like the Civil War and just anything that brings a lot of death and despair. <laughs> um, the 1910s and 20s with the devastations of World War I and the manic years of the Jazz Age and Prohibition witnessed a surge in Ouija board popularity. It was so normal that in May 1920, Norman Rockwell 
depicted a man and a woman using a Ouija board on their knees, communing with the beyond on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. And then during the Great Depression, the Fold Company opened new factories to meet demands for the boards. Over five months in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 of them. And then in 1967, the year after Parker Brothers bought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold, which outsold, outsold Monopoly. That is insane. Which is crazy. I want to ask my mom, because she was maybe 10 or so around that time. I want to ask her if uh, she ever used it as a child. Probably not, because, like, Irish Catholic family. But if any of her friends, like, if her friends had Ouija boards at their houses, like, casually next to their, like, Monopoly board games. Yeah. I want to, because I don't don't know, like, what tv and cable was like back then if cable even existed yet because i know i think my mom said there was like maybe like only a few channels um and it was like the news and like i don't know but because i it makes me wonder like if there were like commercials for the ouija board like there Mm -hmm. are for like kids games now but like maybe it was just in a different medium like the newspapers or something yeah like a magazines yeah yeah because you, I've ne- I've never once seen an advertisement for a Ouija board. But now I feel like you only find them in, in antique shops and yeah. stuff. Yeah, people have returned them. Or you could probably get one off eBay. Oh, well, as we know, <laughs> eBay has a lot of haunted shit on there. Yeah, but the thing is, I feel like with Ouija boards, you don't have to false advertise that it's haunted. Because people can make yeah. Ouija boards out of literally anything they have in their house. That's so scary. Yeah. Like... I listened to one story of these these people that would do that. Like, every day after school, they would play Ouija boards with their friends, and but, like, make it out of whatever they had in their house, and they would use bottle caps as the planchettes. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Yeah. I feel like it's really <laughs> about the, like, the physical medium, how you, whatever yeah, you're using. It's, like it's about your intent to channel. communicating yeah. with something. <laughs> uh, but, so, the article that I um, used for this also detailed some early day tales of Ouija board use. Um, These tales started hitting the news as early as 1920. People were starting to turn to the board to help solve crimes, such as the mysterious murder of a New York City gambler, Joseph Burton Elwell, much to the frustration of the police. In 1921, the New York Times reported that a Chicago woman being sent to a psychiatric hospital tried to explain to doctors that she wasn't suffering from mania, but that Ouija board spirits had told her to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days before burying her in the backyard. It's giving Norman Bates. <laughs> At what point does the human body start to decompose? Immediately? It like not, it's like it's, a day or two. Oh it's God. like when it starts smelling. It's disgusting. 15 days. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Um, in 1930, newspaper readers thrilled to accounts of two women in Buffalo, New York, who'd murdered another woman, supposedly on the encouragement of Ouija board messages, which we had said made nice. us think of Slender Man. Mm-hmm. And then in 1941, a 23-year-old 23, 23 gas station attendant from New Jersey told the New York Times that he'd joined the army because the Ouija board told him to. And then in 1958, a Connecticut court decided not to honor the Ouija board will of Mrs. Helen Dow Peck, who left only $1,000 to two former servants and an insane $152,000 to Mr. John Gale Forbes, a lucky but bodiless spirit who'd encountered her, who'd encountered, who'd contacted her via the Ouija board. So she just gave this random spirit guy a lot of money. I wonder if she, what did she, how did she think logistically that was going to work out? I don't know. Like, like maybe his like this guy's estate was in somebody else's hands now. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but it's also interesting that they were able to not honor. I know, like that had to be brought maybe up they in, were like, like court of law. Yeah, maybe they like had her next of kin be like, yeah, she wasn't sound of mine. So <laughs> yeah. <sighs> maybe they were like logistically like we cannot give this spirit yeah. a check. He doesn't no, have a bank account. No, no, he yeah, he's dead. <laughs> So Ouija existed on the periphery of American culture, perennially popular, mysterious, interesting, and usually barring the few cases of supposed Ouija-inspired murders, non-threatening. That is, until 1973, when The Exorcist came out. And so I actually am going to jump quickly back before The Exorcist to talk about how the Ouija board was perceived in like pop culture and TV shows, um, in like literature and written culture before the exorcist. And then we're going to talk about the exorcist and how that shifted 
the entire public perception of the Ouija board. So before the exorcist, the Ouija board was used, um, not often, but like every now and then as basically a harmless and comical plot device in several TV shows. So in a 1951 episode of I love Lucy called the seance, Lucy uses a Ouija board to get on the good side of a businessman and convince him to make a deal with her husband. Um, Lucy and the businessman bond over their shared interest in numerology and, um, through that get to talking about their Ouija board use. And it's like, a funny plot device. Like they're using the Ouija board together. The audience is laughing in the background. It's lighthearted. They make the deal. It's a success. And the episode ends and like life moves on. No uh, consequences. It's kind of creepy to think about how they're making it so lighthearted when we know that they just made a deal with the devil. I know. Well, that's the other TV episode that I want to briefly talk about is a 1960 episode of Dennis the Menace called The Raffle Ticket. Um, And Dennis the Menace is a cartoon, um, but it was also apparently a live action TV show in the 60s. Um, Dennis is like a small child. So in this episode, a character named Mr. Wilson is conducting a car raffle for his lodge. I don't know what his lodge is. But Dennis, who is the show's main character, he's maybe, maybe like eight years old, wants to win the car for his mom. So he uses his Ouija board to basically intuit like which raffle ticket number to buy from Mr. Wilson. Uh, The scene in the show shows Dennis and his friend, again, they're like eight years old, innocent children, using a Ouija board in the middle of their living room floor, like as casually as if they were playing Monopoly, just like as a comparison since we compared it earlier. (sighs) And after they get their raffle ticket number, the boys talk about, you know, we should ask the board if we're going to be president of the United States when we grow up or vice president. And the television audience laughs and the vibe is innocent and lighthearted. And once again, like the episode ends, children just played with a Ouija board and there are no negative consequences. And when did this come out? This was in 1960. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Like the before I know literally exorcist was, I know that's why switch. I want to ask my mom because even though like Irish Catholic family, I'm sure there mm-hmm. were some hesitation if public perception and if like the church didn't come out against it until after the exorcist, like maybe she did use it as a kid maybe. or maybe she like her friends had it if she didn't yeah. have one in her own household. But yeah, yeah, it is really fascinating. Yeah. I don't think you would ever see in today's like media or in movies, a Ouija board being used like casually to like, what lottery ticket number should I use? No. Like it's always going to result in something yeah. bad. Never used in a comedy. No. So like we said, Ouija boards were also sometimes used, sometimes used as like a conduit for spiritual or philosophical information or to get like answers to life's biggest questions. Um, and a really great example of this is a book that came out um, or book or like series of essays. I believe it was more of a series of essays released over time um, called The Seth Material. And Seth Material is a collection of writing dictated by Jane Roberts to her husband from late 1963 until her death in 1984. Um, So this time frame does go from like pre-exorcist to post-exorcist. But regardless, the material is regarded as one of the cornerstones of New Age philosophy. And it specifically talked about the idea of like channeling energy, um, which to me sounds very similar to today's sort of like I feel like it's very trendy to talk about manifesting and like manifesting your goals and you have like your manifesting crystals and like all that kind of woo woo stuff. Um, This feels very similar to that. So in late 1963, Jane Roberts and her husband, Robert, so I, that's weird, but Jane Roberts and her husband named Robert experimented with a Ouija board as a part of Robert's research Sorry, Jane, not Robert, the husband, Jane Roberts, as a part of Jane's research for a book on extrasensory perception, which is like related to the idea of channeling and manifestation. So Jane and her husband claimed that they began to receive coherent messages from a male personality on December 2nd, 1963, um, through these Ouija board sessions, who later identified himself as Seth. For 20, and for 21 years, uh, Jane held regular sessions in which she went into a trance and purportedly spoke on behalf of Seth. And, like, they used all the information that Seth, like, shared through these Ouija board sessions and the trances that she would go into to write this, these essays and, like, create oh this collection God. of work. Yeah. And it wasn't thought of as, like, 
scary or demonic. Like she was just channeling this spirit and using these Ouija boards. Spiritual. A spiritual encounter versus a demonic one. Um, But yeah, like Betsy said, it wasn't until the exorcist came along that the Ouija board came to be like thought of as something much darker and much more sinister. So I'm assuming most of you who are listening know about The Exorcist. I covered it in our second episode, um, which you should go check out. I go really in-depth into the true story behind The Exorcist, talk about the movie, the creation of the movie, etc. But for today's purposes, if you don't know the story of The Exorcist, um, basically a young girl named Reagan, she's like maybe 12 years old, um, at the beginning of the movie uses a Ouija board in, I think, the basement of her house or somewhere in her house to communicate with a spirit who calls himself Captain Howdy. Um, So the spirit is like pretending to be like an innocent, I don't know, Captain Howdy sounds like a character in like a children's TV show. Um, The spirit actually turns out to be the demon called Pazuzu, who ends up possessing Reagan and almost kills her. Um, And the whole movie follows her possession from like the very beginning to the very end when she like her body is mangled and she's like (laughs) levitating off the bed. Mm. So that was the first movie that really like had a dynamic shift in not just the public perception of Ouija boards, but like just public in general, like the exorcist had a huge impact on our American society. Um, And there's actually a second movie which really contributed and sort of like cemented the idea that Ouija boards are dangerous and not to be fucked with and like connected to demonic um, entities and like demons and negative spirits is a movie called Witchboard, which um, premiered in 1986. And I had never heard of this movie before. Me neither. So I was really interested to find out that there was something else in addition to The Exorcist that cemented this new mindset um, in the American public. But in this movie, the board allows a spirit named David to wreak havoc on a group of people ending in multiple possessions and deaths. Um, And while the two characters get their happily ever after, the movie ends on a cryptic note as the landlady finds um, the damaged board and wonders aloud if the board still works. After she throws it in a box, the planchette answers her question as it moves to yes. (laughs) Yeah. So very creepy stuff. Understandably, understandable why this changed people's minds about Ouija boards. Mm -hmm. Um, So after these two movies premiered, like I said, the concept was cemented in people's minds. Um, And since then, I mean, there have just been countless movies that have used Ouija boards, both as like central to their plot and also as little scenes sprinkled in. Um, And two of my favorites, which just happened to be two of my favorites, favorite scary movies or from my favorite scary movie series in general are paranormal activity and the conjuring Two. So paranormal activity, which premiered in 2007, um, as I'm sure, you know, we all remember, um, is a found footage movie about a couple who are being haunted in their home. The wife is a believer. The husband is not. And when we, we were talking about this earlier, you said that's because she had been haunted by a demon her whole life. Yes. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, So in one particularly eerie scene, the husband pulls out a Ouija board in their living room to play for fun, as he claims. And he and his wife get into an argument because she's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what is that? That's not funny. Um, He leaves the living room and the Ouija board is left unattended on the coffee table. Uh, The camera remains concentrated on the Ouija board for a couple of minutes. And then with nobody else in the scene, we see the Ouija board's planchette start to move around the board on its own. And eventually the board catches on fire. I know. And then in The Conjuring 2, which premiered in 2014... Um, which is based off of the true story of the Enfield hauntings, um, which took place in London from 1977 to 1979, which, I mean, it's a Conjuring movie, so you guys know this is another Ed and Lorraine Warren um, paranormal investigation recounting. Um, But in the film, the Hodgson family uh, begins to experience strange occurrences in their home in London after Janet, who is the second oldest of four children, plays with a Ouija board. And I actually think it was a homemade Ouija board in the movie. So that just goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how like it doesn't necessarily matter if you're using like a licensed Ouija board or making your own out of your own materials. Like it's about the intent to channel spirits Mm -hmm. and like open that portal and let them into your life. Um, 
And I mean, the list goes on and on. I found an article online from creepycatalog.com that listed over 50 movies that contained the use of Ouija boards. Um, there were, I mean, a lot of these movies I had never even heard of before. So that was fun to go through the list. And you guys should check it out if you want to watch more Ouija board movies. Um, but eventually... Yeah, watch it in the movies. Yeah, So it don't. can, like, further, you know, instill that you should never use one. Yeah, in life. exactly. Um, and eventually the Ouija board got its own movie series. In 2014, a movie called Ouija uh, premiered in which a group of friends must confront, confront their most terrifying fears when they awaken the dark powers of an ancient spirit board. And in 2016, a Ouija Origins of Evil, which I guess is supposed to be the prequel to the original movie, um, takes place in 1967 Los Angeles. Um, a widowed mother and her daughters add a new stunt to bolster their seance scam business by inviting an evil presence into their home, not realizing how dangerous it is. Um, the Ouija movies look really bad. Yeah, like, they, they do. don't look scary at all. But I think we should I feel still like watch I feel them. like we would enjoy them though. Yeah, like it's, it would be it's fun. like the good kind of bad, not like bad bad yeah like fun bad not like bad quality bad yeah. i mean they might be bad quality but they'll still be fun yeah um, i feel like the bunny man movies would be bad bad yes the ouija <laughs> movies would be good bad Good, bad. exactly <laughs> yes. okay so basically after everything we've said so far we've made it pretty clear that you know after the exorcist came out the society's view of it was completely shifted. The board was denounced by religious groups as Satan's preferred method of communication. And Catholic.com actually calls the Ouija board, quote, far from harmless. And as recently as 2011, 700 club host Pat Robertson declared that demons can reach us through the board. And 700 club, we talked about this earlier. 700 club is like a televangelist. Yeah. Like, so, you know, take, <laughs> take it with a grain of salt, but like, you know, yeah. we do agree with him on this one. I mean, the Catholics are saying it, and you know, you guys know how the Catholics are. Like, <laughs> as one myself, we don't fuck with things like this. Yes, we but we can believe the 700 Club. Yeah, um, but in addition to religious groups, uh, Ouija also has a dodgy reputation in paranormal communities. Uh, Robert Merch, who is the historian I talked about earlier, who is researching the origins of the board, he was told that once he started speaking at paranormal conventions, to leave his antique boards at home because they scared people too much. So I guess that means he had one himself. Yeah. And I wonder if he asked if he could bring it. He's like, hey, can I bring this <laughs> hey to <guys>. the convention? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> um, and so as far as Ouija board sales today, Parker Brothers and later Hasbro, after they acquired Parker Brothers in 1991, still sold hundreds of thousands of them. But the reasons why people were buying them had changed significantly as Ouija boards were spooky rather than spiritual with a distinct thrill of danger. Ooh. So people now are just like doing it for the adrenaline. Oh, man. I mean, we're a couple of adrenaline junkies to a degree, but, but we also like to like be alive. <laughs> yeah, I like to not be haunted. And yes, and not be tormented by demons. <laughs> Thank you very much. Just the little things in life, you know? And I think we talked about last time how we were like kind of within proximity possibly of a Ouija board at a sleepover when we were in middle school. Yeah, we um, were in this girl's basement and I don't know who pulled it out. It must have been the girl who was hosting the sleepover. Yeah, no, I think she was the one that, that yeah. uh, suggested it. And they like pulled out the board or something there was mention of it and I was like nope I'm getting them and it's so weird Wrap because I I this is my memory of this night I remember Greer piecing the fuck out and going to a different room <laughs> I but I door. don't remember using the board myself and like that's like the end of the memory is Greer scattering and everybody <laughs> gathering around this board but I don't remember seeing the board I don't remember using the board I don't remember where I went or what I did after that <laughs> so if I did use it I've blocked it out of my mind or maybe I was going I went and I hung out with Greer I don't remember I think there were a couple of other people in the room with me so like you might have been one of them but I felt like I would remember if you were in there with me you might have just yeah. been sitting there and been like, I'm I also here, but kind of feel like I remember it. thinking Greer was late. Oh, <laughs> I was in person. Like, oh, come on. I feel like I remember <laughs> feeling like that. But I also just don't remember playing the game. So maybe I too, you I know, definitely check was, it out. But I was definitely the lame-o at that point of the sleepover. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So that's our only like in proximity encounter with a Ouija board. Never actually played one, or at least I don't have a recollection of playing one. Yeah. But this brings us into retelling your guys' story. So we had a few DMs on the Instagram of people's different accounts. I, I'm going to start 
with um, one DM that we got sent from user little loser bitch. We love it. <laughs> we, love we love your your name handle. on Instagram. We love it. <laughs> And they said, I no longer live in the house this stuff occurred in. And at the time, I was like a full-fledged non-believer. So I wrote everything off as kind of being whatever. I remain skeptical, but I'm definitely like not a non-believer anymore. But we used a Ouija board and nothing came of those events. I was even the asshole who fucked around and faked it moving. We forgot to close and went back hours later to say goodbye, which I don't know if that means anything. However, afterwards, I had some weird events go down in that house. Now, my attic door was not the most secure. There were definitely events where if I shut the window in the bedroom door, my attic door would fly open due to air circulation, which definitely happens in my own apartment, too. This is Betsy speaking. I, it happens all the time. If I close our bathroom door, our, um, our door to our bedroom will also slam shut. Or it's the same if like I open one and another one will open. This would happen in our, the last house that Betsy and I lived in together. And that yeah. was creepy because those were big, like heavy wooden doors with like, yes. brass knobs. Yep. Very scary. Yeah. Um, and then she goes on to say, and storms would also make the door fly open. One of my stories kind of has to do with that, but there are other stories that kind of say maybe it wasn't the door being vulnerable to the environment. One day I was watching some spooky stuff about the dark web and I started getting really paranoid and it was storming out. The electricity went off, my lights went out, my record player went off, and when the lights and everything came back on, the attic door was wide the fuck open. Absolutely not. No. Attics are so creepy. So, so creepy. My parents' house, where I grew up, has an attic that is super, super creepy. Like... the, I grew up in the same house that my mom grew up in, and I feel like that attic is still has the same wood and like same stepladder up to it that my mom had when she was growing up. It's so old. And like, since then my dad has like put in this like insulator thing that you have to zip open to like go into the attic. So it's like, you have to push it up and like immerse yourself into the darkness and pull that little tiny string from the light bulb. And it is so scary. Yeah, definitely not. And I ever was like home alone and went down that hallway and saw that the attic door was open, like with the whole stepladder out and no, like nobody was home. I would freak the fuck out. Yeah. Mm -mm. Just no. No, 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 no. It's not worth the storage space, guys. It's not worth it. (laughs) It, uh, I mean, we do keep all our Christmas stuff up there. Fine. But that's like, I I only go up there to get that stuff down or if I like, I need to borrow a suitcase, but I, otherwise I, (laughs) I steer clear. Um, so anyway, she says, I can still hear the way the record player sounded when it came back on. And I saw that. I ran out of the house half naked and my mom called the police to take a look. And obviously there was nothing there. My friend was like, it's ghosts. We shouldn't have messed around with that board. And I was like, yeah, right. Because at that time I was just trying to write it off. I ended up switching rooms in the future because the attic door kept swinging open while I was asleep. Oh, that is so I didn't like the first time we read that. I didn't think about it because I thought about it like a door swinging open rather than like an attic door like down yeah Yeah. and now I don't know if that's like the kind of attic door you have but if it is I'm just thinking sorry I'm just thinking about how like because attic doors the ones that you have to pull down from the ceiling like they kind of go slowly and like (laughs) like they unfurl and the store the stairs like unfurl (laughs) I hate it thank you (laughs) yeah you're welcome giving hereditary (laughs) just the fucking worst (laughs) attic of all (laughs) naked grandma (laughs) Uh, okay (laughs) anyway um okay she would get scared when the attic door would swing open while she was asleep which she continued to write off but was obviously still affected by so i moved a bedroom over because my brother had moved out i was in that room and i was feeling afraid for no reason and left the light on I kept having this weird gut feeling it was going to turn off, and I was like, nah, I'm good. And then lo and behold, it went out. Then there was weird stuff in the kitchen, like I went downstairs and a burner was turned on. And one time, I went down in the morning and a mug was broken on the floor, which poltergeist activity. Also feels like a scene straight out of paranormal activity. Yeah. The yeah, burner sure. being turned on is like, I'm, I'm thinking of like seeing like one of the, the cameras up on like the ceiling or whatever. Uh-huh. And you can see the burner, like, like the ta- turning, like the turning yeah. and like the glow of the burner <laughs> and then like seeing the mug fall off yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Creepy as fuck. After moving out of that room, there were definitely times when the door was open because of a storm, and there were other times when there wasn't any wind at all, and that door was still wide open. Anyway, that's my story. Thankfully, no negative energy has attached itself to me, and nothing is occurring in my current house. We're very glad that you were able to get away from that 
that energy because it was not serving you. Yeah. Thank you, little loser bitch. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, this next story is a short one from my cousin, Jean. So shout out Jean. Um, she, so we put a poll up on our Instagram stories asking if anybody had used Ouija boards and if so, would they share our stories with us? So Jean says no on the Ouija board use, but I do know some folks that did a group of guys in college. Uh, she went to a Catholic college held a seance with a Ouija board in the men's restroom on their floor. Multiple people that were present all had the same story. Lights flickering, loud banging, and most terrifying of all, a tall shadowy figure rose up from the board. A couple of the guys ran to get our campus priest, and he was somehow able to expel whatever the shadow thing was. When I initially heard this story around campus, I thought it was horseshit, and that the guys had just courted their stories really well. But years later, in a conversation with our campus priest, he mentioned that this had, in fact, occurred. <sighs> I know. That's so scary. Yeah. And we talked about how it's so interesting that, like, Catholicism and religious religion in general kind of denounces magic mm-hmm. when priests in these instances are literally channeling the power of God. Yeah. Power of Christ compel you! <laughs> We were saying, like, or I was saying, Catholicism is, like, kind of witchy. It's very witchy. Um, like, the idea of transubstantiation in Catholicism, um, which is part of what differentiates it from other sects of Christianity, is that during the Mass, um, when the priest says a prayer over the, uh, like, little communion wafers that you see, that that actually turns the wafer into the actual body of Christ. And the same thing happens with the wine, turns into the actual blood of christ witchy Um, yeah witchy witchy. and that's not a good or a bad thing it just is witchy and it's interesting as betsy said that you know like they denounce denounce witchcraft and magic and everything Mm -hmm. okay so our next story is from one of our listeners named gracie and she sent us a dm on instagram as well that says not me but my mom and aunt had one when they were little and treated it like a board game they would ask it questions about their future like what their husband's name was going to be, et cetera, which I've heard you're not supposed to do. And they ended up talking to something not nice. After that, my aunt had these sleepwalking nightmare spells where she would run in circles around her room at night and just other creepy paranormal experiences. And we talked about how I'm a former sleepwalker. (laughs) Um, Because so when I was little, I had to use a step stool to use the sink to wash my hands. And there was one night where my dad woke up in the middle of the night because I was sleep banging the stool on the wall. Mm-mm. <laughs> I just can't imagine what I would do if I saw my kid doing that. Even if I knew they sleepwalked, sleepwalked. I think you would be even more freaked out once you figured out they were asleep, right? Probably. Because then it's like something has a hold over them. I also like if I'm, it's like, if it's like two in the morning and I'm a tired ass parent with a little kid and I'm also a believer in ghosts, I don't know that sleepwalking would be my first like instinctual guess about yeah. what's going on. I'd be like, possession. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so yeah, I did that. And then there was another instance where I sleptwalk into my brother's room and almost went to the bathroom in there. <laughs> Both of these instances were me being frustrated that I couldn't find the bathroom. <laughs> so the first time when my dad found me banging the stool on the, on the wall, it was because I was mad because I couldn't find the toilet. And then he told me where it was. And then I went to the bathroom. And then the, the next morning I woke up and wasn't wearing any underwear. And it was like, next to my bed on the floor. And I was like, that's weird. Cause I remember going to bed the night before wearing underwear. Mm-hmm. And then my dad told me that he'd had <laughs> me sleepwalking in the bathroom. And I was like, oh, okay, well that explains it. <laughs> um, because at this point I was already like a pretty avid sleepwalker, I would say, but I it was never like doing anything to that ex- extreme. It was usually just like my mom finding me in the middle of the hallway, glassy eyed. Oh, oh um, and then when I walked into my older brother's room, I thought it was bathroom. And he's like, what are you doing? Get out of here. Because I think I had started to take my pants off. And then he's like, the bathroom's down the hall. And so I eventually found it. I don't know why. It was literally just a matter of somebody telling me where it was for me to find it. I don't know. It's so weird. You needed an extra little push. Yeah. So sleepwalking Betsy and also sleep talking Betsy are two very hostile beings. And also just like waking Betsy up in the morning <laughs> when she doesn't want to be. Yeah. Woken. If I don't, if I don't wake up on my own, it's not a pretty you sight. You don't want to be around <laughs> it. Yeah. So anyway, sleepwalking is terrifying. So this person's aunt would have these sleepwalking nightmare spells where she would run in circles around her room at night mm-hmm. and just other creepy paranormal experiences like lights flickering and stuff. 
My mom ended up getting scared and threw the board out into the woods behind the house without saying goodbye one day, and it came back inside the house where it was previously kept. Bitch. If you're going to play this, don't let it scare you to the point where you don't properly dispose or, like, put it to rest, you know? Yeah. And it seems like you have to... I didn't know this prior to this conversation, but you, I guess, have to say goodbye to close out your sessions. Yeah. So don't forget to do that, too. Yeah. Just, you know... If you're going to use it, well, one, don't. <laughs> don't use it, but, but if, if you do. It, don't be stupid about it. Don't be more <laughs> stupid than you're already being. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gracie said that if we want more stories about this house, she can totally give us some, which she did, because obviously we wanted more stories. So we're going to save that for another episode. But yeah. thank you so much, Gracie, for sending that in. We really appreciate it. So the next story that I'm going to share is not a listener story, um, but it came up when I was doing my own research on Ouija boards. And after reading this, I am honestly kind of shocked that I didn't find this story and this information like, like that it hasn't been more widely shared. Um, and that it doesn't seem to have been talked about at all since it happened in the nineties. So in 1990, this is the story of the Gulf breeze six, So in 1990, a group of six military analysts from the 701st Military Intelligence Brigade um, stationed in Augsburg, West Germany, went AWOL, which um, means away without leave, after repeated sessions with a Ouija board left them convinced that the end of the world was approaching. Um, These folks became known as the Gulf Breeze Six because Gulf Breeze was the town in Florida that they escaped to after they left Germany. Um, according to one of the members of the Gulf Breeze Six named Vince Davis, the Ouija board put the six soldiers in touch with an entity that named itself Sapphire. Between December 1989 and July 1990, the uh, Ouija summoned spirit named Sapphire gave the six gentlemen a series of predictions, um, basically of like events that were going to happen leading up to the end of the world um, for years into the future. Uh, Davis says that So basically the group took like copious notes while they were having these Ouija board sessions. And Davis said that all these notes and all the predictions that were made were passed along to military authorities when the six were officially arrested in Florida. Um, So all this information is like in the possession of the United States military. Um, And so that alone, I was like, wow, that's like really interesting that these guys were convinced somehow via Ouija board that the world was ending that they had it. They had to leave the military. Like what were they talking about? And so when some of, so the group was doing these, these, um, Ouija sessions, when some of the prophecies, both minor and significant started to come true, um, people were started to be convinced that the six gentlemen were actually dealing with genuine, um, spiritual encounters. Uh, Vince Davis went on to write a book titled Unbroken Promises that detailed some of the predictions made during their Ouija sessions. So I'm going to read three that like really kind of like shook me. Um, And all these predictions were made before these events happened in real life. Wait, when when is this all happening? This is um, December 1989 and I think June, May, June, July of 1990. So like late spring, early summer. Cool. So the board, or Sapphire, the spirit channeled through the board, predicted that an earthquake would hit Iran with deaths and injuries totaling 300,000 around. Uh, Later in 1990, um, when the group went AWOL, a 7.4 magnitude earthquake in northern Iran killed 40,000 people and and injured 300,000 more. Oh, my God. So they got the country and, like, the amount of people impacted. Jeez. Correct. Um, Sapphire predicted that riots in Los Angeles would occur and would be a warning for all future riots nationwide. And in 1991, the LA race riots broke out after Rodney King was severely beaten by LAPD after a high speed car chase. Oh my God. And it also predicted the unification of Germany, which happened in October of 1990. (sighs) And there was like a list. I mean, the list is so long and I don't think everything that, that Sapphire predicted like came true. Right. But, but when I, a lot of them, the, the earthquake one, especially, yeah. I mean, because things like, I mean, I don't know, riots specifically in Los Angeles that would like shape the way riots have been, are perceived for the rest of time. Like that's so specific. The earthquake is so specific. 
the unification of Germany, they maybe could have predicted that would happen at any time, but like still the fact that it happened months after the prediction was made, like it's just, I read those and I freaked out. Yeah. So these six men felt that they were chosen to act as instruments of God's will. Um, their oath to the military quote, obviously seems to be less of an importance than following the orders of God. They asked Sapphire how to carry out their divine mission and Sapphire instructed them to flee the military, regardless of the consequences, because they were needed to help lead the world through an impending cataclysm. So that's exactly what they did. They were soon discovered by the military in Gulf breeze, Florida. And surprisingly enough, three weeks after their arrest, instead of being severely punished by the military tribunal, they were discharged from Fort Knox with full honors. Um, following Colin, I know, I know. Well, the, it's, it's weird. Following Colin Powell's descent to this incredible verdict, um, after all, they had they were deserters. They had gone AWOL. Um, this was withdrawn, so they were no longer discharged with full honors. Okay. Instead, they were reduced to the lowest rank and forfeited half a month's pay. Um, since then, the military since then military officials have refused to discuss the investigation. So, what is going? I know, like, what is going on? Um, a Pentagon spokeswoman stated that the six members were group were of a group. Hold on. A Pentagon spokeswoman stated that the six were members of a group called the end of the world. But this statement was later retracted saying that there actually was no such group. And when the case was declassified, 1400 out of 1600 pages on the case were withheld. Uh, okay. Interesting. So yeah. Okay. That's crazy. I know. That's wild. And just interesting that like the, it's declassified information, but so much of it, it is, is not available to the public. And oh, they have possession of all the predictions that the board made. So, like, I don't know if it was, if they rough once things started coming true. I don't know if they were like, oh shit. Like, what if it's like predictions that of for things that are supposed to happen in future years? What do you mean? Like, are you saying that? they're withholding a lot of the predictions, like the list of predictions. I don't know what was withheld. I mean, that's probably the case. Like maybe yeah. they're holding on to it. Like, yeah, to be like, this might happen. In but the if future. it's like, you know, crucial information that the public should have. Right. But I feel like probably, there's probably a lot of crucial information that our government has that they don't tell us. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that was crazy. Um, and then, we are going to end with one more listener story that was sent in to us this morning from our listener, Amber. And she said, not my story, but my dad's. And I think it's pretty wild. I was banned from playing with them because when he and my uncle were younger, they made their own to try to contact their father who committed suicide. They got something else that told them one of them was going to die soon. And a week later, my dad got into a motorcycle accident that almost took his life. He told me he saw the light and everything, but my mom was pregnant with me and he saw me and heard his dad tell him it wasn't his time yet. I will never touch a Ouija board ever. LOL. Oh my gosh. That's wild. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, obviously we're very glad that he is okay. And that this whole experience, while it is tragic and horrible, you know, it, lends to the fact that you should always stay away from Ouija boards. Yeah. <laughs> Please and thank you. Yes. Ugh. But okay, thank you everyone who sent in their stories and let us read them on our podcast. This was a fun episode, what? even though we had <laughs> recorded twice. I know. And now it's time for the paranormal protection tip of the week. Okay, I can read this one. Let me just pull it up. Okay, so our conversation, or our tip this week is very applicable to this uh, episode's topic, and it's about having a conversation with spirits without using a Ouija board. Talking with roommates about your pet peeves can be awkward, but when it comes to meddlesome ghosts, it's worth a try. All right, so the most simple thing you can do is acknowledge the spirits and talk to them. Ask them if they know they're dead and are interested in moving on. Some spirits are just confused and may not even realize they've died. If politely asked to move on, many will leave of their own accord. Even beyond the veil, most ghosts realize that manners matter. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> oh, gosh, could you imagine telling a ghost that they're dead and then them just being like, oh, okay, bye. Wait, what? <laughs> 
were you talking about just casually like you know very easily accept that i feel like it would be the opposite for most cases (laughs) too but you never know you never know yeah i feel like in a lot of these instances if you're being haunted or tormented by a ghost i feel like in a lot of times when people are just like leave me alone they do they are left alone yeah like in the um, the conjuring book that i referenced a few times on this podcast house of darkness house of light when they get tormented they would just pray to god until they left so but didn't they keep coming back well they yes that's a whole other thing because that was like you know malevolent spirits but i feel like um in a lot of these instances if you just like leave me alone they'll, they'll they'll be polite and leave you alone or if you're being haunted up by a demon that you have opened a portal to via Ouija board, <laughs> if you might not be uh, so lucky, you might not be so lucky, but like in the instances of the girls from the conjuring, they would pray to God and it would usually work. Wow. So, well, the more, you know, the more, you know, well, thank you guys <laughs> so much for listening today. You didn't hear the first version of this episode. Um, but thank you for listening to our redo. Um, be sure to follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok. Oh yes. Big announcement. We're officially on TikTok. <laughs> Both handles are at DFWG podcast. Um, also make sure to rate and review us on Spotify and Apple podcasts or yeah, really, know. really supports us. Yeah, it does. And then also, uh, you can send your personal encounters or any questions or anything really to our Gmail DFWG. DFWG podcast at gmail.com. And you can also always shoot us a DM too. That's how we got a lot of these stories. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Most of our listener stories that we still have on our back burner are from our DMs. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again for listening. Um, And if you are going to converse with the other side, do so safely. And especially after today's episode, we hope you remember to always stay the Fuck away from Ouija boards. Bye. Bye.